0: All right, well, good morning again, everybody. We're going to be getting into the Word here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to be hanging out today. Uh, If you're new to our church, we've been going through the book of Matthew together as a church. And uh, we believe that one of the best ways to understand more about God and more about what He expects from us is to be people of the Word of God. To us, the Bible isn't just another religious book. It's the very revelation of God. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's our manual for faith and practice. And so we want to be... In the Word of God, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we've got one for you in the Welcome Center. Just ask one of the hosts out there, and they will get you one. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, we began Matthew chapter 12 as part of our series What's weighing you down? And we talked about the importance of rest and Sabbath. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, if you remember the story, they were walking through a grain field. Uh, They were really hungry. They needed something to eat. So they started picking the heads of grain and were eating the grain. And the religious law said, hey, that's okay. We'll allow that so long as you don't do that on the Sabbath day. Because picking grain, that was considered Work That was part of harvesting. And the religious leaders, they got upset at Jesus because they allowed his disciples to pick the grain and eat it. And so they accused the disciples of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, the commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, the disciples, they weren't actually breaking the law there. They weren't breaking one of God's commands. They were only breaking one of the thousands of nitpicky rules that the Pharisees had added to God's law. Jesus, he rebuked the Pharisees and even showed them from the Old Testament scriptures how God cares more about people than he does policy. And of course, Uh, His rebuttal to the Pharisees, it stirred the flames of controversy. It stirred the flames of controversy. That's the first thing we're going to look at today from our passage. The Pharisees, they could not grasp the fact that God cares more about people than their rules. And in their arrogance, the Pharisees, they are actually arguing with the one that they should have been worshiping. They didn't know it, but the Pharisees were walking a fine line, all right? They accused Jesus, at the very least, of allowing sin and maybe even sinning himself. Well, since God cannot sin, and since Jesus is God, it was very dangerous for them to be challenging Jesus. They were blaspheming the one that they were accusing of blasphemy. Then Jesus declared that he himself, you'll remember it in verse 8, chapter 12, he was Lord over the Sabbath. In essence, he was saying that he was above the law and he is greater than the law. See, God gave the Sabbath as a gift to serve the people, to be a benefit to the people, right? The, the religious elite, they viewed the Sabbath as one more rule for the people to have to strictly follow, Now, it's true that God gave us guidelines to follow. We find that in his word. But but the reason why he gave us those guidelines is because he loves us. He cares for us. He wants to protect us. Now, unfortunately, some people make it all about the rules, strictly adhering to their version of the law. So it became an obsession of the law instead of love for God. And at the end of the day, God is a God of people, not a God of rules. He gives us rules and guidelines and guardrails because he is motivated by love. In fact, he is love. That's why Jesus said at the end of chapter 11, come to me all that are weary and are heavy laden And I will give you rest. Then he went on and said, take my yoke upon you. Don't take all that other yoke of trying to keep the thousands and thousands of rules and the checklists and the to-dos and the to-don'ts and all of that stuff. Just take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Then he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so today we're going to pick it up, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. We're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Have you found Matthew chapter 12 yet? Good. The first service, they were a little late. Um, Told them it was in the New Testament. Go to Malachi, take a left. Verse 9, Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. Okay. Remember, went on from there talking about how they had passed through the grain fields where the disciples were picking the grain heads and all of that. He went on from there, so we pick up the story where it left off, and he entered their synagogue. Now let's stop there for a moment. Remember it is the Sabbath day and as was his regular custom, Jesus went to the weekly worship service. You could say that Jesus was a church going man, right? Even when he had an excuse not to go. Remember he's just had this confrontation with the Pharisees. And he could have allowed that frustration to get him on edge, to get him frustrated, to get him flustered and all upset. Plus, I mean, he is the son of God. What's he going to learn from church, right? (laughs) But he didn't let any of that keep him from getting to the house of the Lord. Man, that is a good reminder for us today. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here in the house of the Lord today, but... We know that Satan will come up with all sorts of ways to get us distracted and frustrated and keep us from getting to church. That's right. Even when you're on your way to church, he'll frustrate. That's what happened to the Jesus and the disciples, right? They were on the way to church, they were passing through the grain fields when that confrontation took place. Satan will, will do stuff even on your way to church. It probably doesn't happen in your family. But I've had two or three families confess already today. I won't call them out. But one family told me that they drive three separate vehicles to church just to avoid fights on the way to church. Right? <laughs> so, parking team, if we have a problem with a parking lot, that go see Tim Hopkins. Oh, sorry, my bad. My bad. <laughs> But Jesus, he didn't let any of that deter him at all. Church attendance for him was not optional. And church attendance for us should not be optional. Even if we think, I've got nothing else to learn, what am I going to learn today that's anything new? It doesn't matter. We still need to get to church. Listen, because you need to encourage someone. You need to get to church to serve somebody. You need to get to church to be on your dream team. And because I love the Lord, because I love serving him, because I love gathering and worshiping with other believers, I'm going to get to church. It's just part of my spiritual life. Not because of rules and regulation, but out of relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, he is on his way to the synagogue. Next verse. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? So Jesus, he arrives with his his disciples at the synagogue, and he meets a man with a withered, your translation may say, shriveled hand. Now, we don't know if he was born this way, uh, if it was some sort of birth defect, or it happened as a result of an accident or a disease. Uh, But either way, this man's hand is withered and useless. And apparently, the Pharisees, they've been following Jesus and his disciples from the grain field, right? These, just, these, these jokers just keep close to Jesus all the time, right? I'm, I'm sure he'd be like, can you just give me a break? Go get a life, guys. I'm just trying to get to church. And when these Pharisees see the man, they, they start asking Jesus about the man. Notice, they don't even acknowledge the man with the withered hand. They just... They just go right to Jesus and they say, is it lawful, Jesus? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And it's not like they're even denying the power of Jesus, right? They anticipate that Jesus wants to heal and restore this man. Listen, sometimes the critics have just as much faith as we do. It's not that they lack the faith. They know that Jesus can heal. They've seen him do it. But they only want healing and miracles to happen on their terms. Their agenda was more important than having compassion for the man. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, he's okay with allowing his calendar to be interrupted no matter what day of the week it is because of his compassion. He's a God of compassion. The Pharisees, they have no compassion at all toward the man. They don't care about him. They don't care about his condition. They see him as a pawn in a game. They see him as a case test to see what Jesus is going to do next. So they use this man as bait to try and trap Jesus, to trap him about another one of their nitpicky Sabbath rules. And I hope, I hope and pray that we never get so caught up in our rituals and our traditions and this is how we do things and this is what we do, this is what we don't do, that we neglect the needs of the people. Amen. We can get so focused on our pet peeves and our policies and our agendas that we don't even see the person right in front of us at church who is hurting and sick and broken. And I'm thankful for this church that doesn't spend a lot of time on sideways energy and pet projects when all around us there are people who need hope and healing and help. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, what's this word here? Love. Love. If you have love for one another. Not that you have memorized 200 or 300 scriptures. Not that you wear the right clothes. Not that you sing the right songs. Not that you say enough Hail Marys or whatever it might be. People will know that we are true followers by our love. Jesus is full of love and compassion toward the hurting man. And can't you just hear the snarky tone as one of the Pharisees asked, So tell us, teacher, is it okay to do good? Is it okay to to heal today? Does the law of Moses allow you to heal on the Sabbath day? Well, of course it's insincere. Of course it's just a setup. They're looking for another gotcha moment. Now, their rules did allow for medical care on the Sabbath day, but only For unusual, unique circumstances. Like if it was a life or death situation. Or maybe a mother was going into labor about to deliver her baby. Or or some other uh, situation that was unavoidable. But to the Pharisees, this man's withered hand, that didn't rise to the level of of a medical emergency. I mean, after all, he's probably been suffering with it for years anyways. This is not a life or death situation, so no big deal. Their insistence on protecting their sacred rules wouldn't allow this man to be healed on the Sabbath. Isn't that tragic? And I imagine in this encounter, tensions were no doubt building right there. So I wonder how Jesus, how's he going to handle this situation? Next verse, verse 11. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? This is a really cool thing that Jesus does here. He answers the Pharisees' question with another question. Right? They thought they were setting Jesus up but they were actually setting themselves up. They didn't know it yet. Jesus gives this illustration of a sheep who has fallen into a pit on the Sabbath day. And he's saying, hey, you or a farmer or whoever, you're not just gonna allow that sheep to be stuck in a pit all day, vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to, to whatever it might be, and just stay there in the pit because it was the Sabbath day. This is really cool about Jesus because he was well-informed about their man-made rules. He knew them very well. He knew that there was a law in place that permitted them to go ahead and rescue that sheep, go ahead and lift that sheep out of the pit, even though it was actually on the Sabbath day and it was considered work technically. So Jesus is like, hey, you would rescue a sheep on the Sabbath of how much more value is a man than a sheep. That's what he said in verse 12. If it was acceptable to do good for a sheep on a Sabbath, then certainly it's acceptable to do good for a man on the Sabbath. See, they had much more value. People have more value than sheep. Jesus exposed the fact that they were more concerned about their possessions, their sheep, than they were concerned for a person who was in need. If there's something that you and I can do to help someone out that is in need, we should not be looking for excuses to not help that person. Well, sorry, it's not a convenient time for me. Sorry, it's the Sabbath day. Sorry, I just gave my last dollar away. We shouldn't be looking for excuses not to help people. We should be doing everything we can to figure out a way that we can help that person. I pray that that's the nature of this church. That we are looking for opportunities to bless people. That we are a generous church. That we are a generous people. Eager to help. Eager to serve. Eager to be a positive witness for Jesus Christ in our community. Jesus was like, come on, guys. Pharisees, this is basic human decency. We shouldn't even be having this conversation right now. If you can help a sheep, then you can help a man. Now, Mark's account of this event includes the detail that when Jesus said that, the Pharisees remained silent. They had no answer. They had no response to Jesus in that moment. It's because they didn't realize who they were dealing with, (laughs) Jesus actually knew their own law better than they knew the law. And they knew that Jesus got him. Got him, right? Their own law allowed for people to do good on the Sabbath. So then Jesus went on and he answered their question so it is lawful, it is okay to do good on the Sabbath. Yes, the law of Moses indeed allows you to help someone out, even on the Sabbath day. And with this incredible answer, Jesus underscored his ability and authority to interpret the scripture. Now, remember, just four verses earlier, in verse 8, he has declared himself as Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they had declared themselves Lord of the Sabbath even though they had no such authority to do so. So Jesus not only challenged their tradition, he overrides their tradition. The Pharisees had it all wrong. They claimed to love God and know God. They claimed to love his word and love the law. They even added extra laws and rules to show how devoted they were to the Lord. But somewhere along the way, they got off track. Our love and devotion for God and God's law should be lived out and manifested in the way that we treat people. In other words, the vertical should affect the horizontal. The vertical should affect the horizontal. For those of us, we've been in church a long time. You know, we can be excited and passionate about these vertical things our relationship with God, we're really into church. We like coming anytime the doors are open. We like our life groups and our Bible studies and fellowship and doctrine and theology and and personal convictions. And by the way, all those things are really, really good. But we must be careful to not be so focused on the vertical that we forget about the horizontal, our love and our concern for other people. Loving and serving the Lord is demonstrated in loving and serving people. John said this in 1 John chapter 4. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command... Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. (laughs) What's John saying here? The vertical affects the horizontal. Yes, we love the Lord. Yes, we love his word. So much so that it informs the way that we treat other people. One of the ways I honor my relationship with God is through my treatment of other people. The Pharisees, they excused their terrible treatment of people with their over-religious attitude. Jesus said, the greatest command is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, hey, the second commandment, this one's really important too. You've got to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. So to illustrate His point that it is okay to do good on the Sabbath, Jesus demonstrated his healing power in the very next verse, verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. I love his response here. Jesus, he just stays above the fray. He just stays above the the games and the shenanigans of the Pharisees. And after pronouncing that that the law allows to do good on the Sabbath, he does just that. He does something good on the Sabbath. We've seen the controversy. We've seen the compassion. Now we see the command. Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand. He commanded him, stretch out your hand. Now, you have to know, as tensions are building in that encounter, that everyone is watching. If this would have happened in today's time, I'm sure that the camera phones would have been out. Someone would have been live streaming it to the internet, right? When I think about this man, I imagine that he's probably self-conscious about it. Maybe he hides it in his pocket or hides it in his coat somewhere. Try to keep it inconspicuous and walked in a way to, to try to hide his uh, infirmity. So I kind of I imagine that as Jesus gives this command, he, he probably just slowly brings it out of his coat or, or brings it out of his garment. And as he brings it forth and stretches it out, as he obeys the command of the Lord there, he looks down and his hand has gone from withered and shriveled to made completely healed and whole. A perfect match. To his other hand, he now has two perfectly working hands. He can now work with full productivity again. He doesn't have to be embarrassed or ashamed about his deformity any longer. Jesus has healed him. With a word, with a command, he healed him. Jesus, with a word or a command, can heal you today too. In fact, we are believing that later today, at the end of our time together, we're going to have some prayer. If you need healing in your body, we're just believing, God, for this to be a a house of healing. So whatever infirmity you brought into this place, whatever sickness or ailment or illness, we're just believing you're going to be made new, made clean, made whole in Jesus' name today. So... How do we think the Pharisees reacted? Jesus, he's just overruled their authority with both his words and his actions. Uh, They had become so accustomed, these Pharisees, to walking around, strutting around with clout and arrogance and everyone looking to them as the experts. But now they've just been humiliated by Jesus in front of everybody at the synagogue, Jesus has exposed their evil attitudes showing that these Pharisees this group of people they were more concerned about religious systems than they were about God. They loved rules more than they loved people. So I wonder will will these men will these religious leaders now get on board with Jesus? Will they open their eyes finally to the fact that they are standing right in front of the son of God? Let's see, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. So they weren't happy at all about Jesus. They weren't happy about this man having his hand restored at all. Look at how they reacted. They're outraged. Jesus has just placed himself above the law, above them, and they weren't going to have any of that because if the people start following jesus then they were going to lose their authority right jesus was a threat to their system jesus was a threat to the control that they had over the people power and positions were just too important for them to let this guy come along and mess all of that up for them And so this encounter that we just read about, this would end up being a turning point in the relationship between Jesus and these Pharisees. Now, they had been intrigued about Jesus. This new teacher, let's go check him out. I mean, he's drawing massive crowds. He's got some things to share, some things to say. He's even doing some miracles and, and some incredible things. And up until this point here in the story, they've tolerated him. But now, it's reached a boiling point. Jesus, he's made it personal. He's embarrassed them. And in their anger, they reasoned that the only way that they are going to be able to deal with this is to conspire and find a way to kill him. So they began to plot and conspire how they're going to take him out. Now, the Gospel of Mark, the next book in the Bible, when he tells the events of this story, he tells us that they conspired with another group called the Herodians. And the Herodians were a Jewish political party that had hoped to restore Herod the Great's line back to the throne in Israel. Well, the Pharisees, they despised the Herodians because they aligned themselves with Rome. They were cozy and cuddly to, to Rome, they had very little in common with the Herodians until Jesus posed a threat to them. In fact, he posed a threat to them both. Jesus posed a threat to the Pharisees and their religious authority over the people. And Jesus posed a threat to the Herodians and their political authority over the people. You know, all this talk of, from Jesus about how the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it caused the Herodians to think that, well, maybe Jesus is planning a coup. Maybe Jesus is planning to overthrow the ruler and, and set himself up as the ruler. So these two groups who were ordinarily at odds, who were ordinarily enemies, they joined forces to discuss how they can get rid of Jesus. And this would be a point of no return for Jesus. He walked through a door he knew he wouldn't be able to come back through. He, he crossed a line that he would not be able to uncross. And listen, there may come a time in our lives when we walk through a door, we won't be able to come back through. For many of us today, our beliefs and our convictions that are rooted in God's word no longer aligns with today's ruling class. God's truth flies in the face of today's Pharisees and Herodians. They think they have the final say on what is acceptable and what is not. The Pharisees, they, they tolerated Jesus at least for a while. But there came a point, and I believe this was the point, where it turned to hate and disdain for Jesus. And some of you here today, you've already had to face hate and disdain in certain arenas of your life. Godly values of sexuality and virtue and morality and life, it's no longer being tolerated today. There's a movement to cancel and punish those who would dare stand for righteousness. And the bolder we are in keeping in step with God and his word, the bolder we are there, the bigger target we're going to become. Here's why. Because the powers of darkness, when confronted with the light, it threatens control. It threatens their control. That's what happened to the Pharisees. The light of Jesus... The light of truth is shining on them, right? And it is exposing them, and it's threatening their way of life. That's what's happening today. The powers of darkness are threatened by the light of truth in God's word. And since they can't live the way they want to live, if there is indeed a higher power, if there is indeed absolute truth in God's word, toleration now has turned to cancellation. The Pharisees had it in their mind that they have got to cancel and destroy Jesus once and for all. And so they began to conspire. How are we going to do this? How are we going to take him out? And in the end, they thought they had won. They thought they had destroyed him when they nailed him to the cross, when they executed him. <laughs> but uh, even then, Jesus had them right where he wanted them, right? Right? That was all part of God's plan too. Death didn't have the final say. Darkness didn't have the final say. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the the light of the world and the light of the word. (laughs) He has the final say. In the end, darkness does not win. Jesus wins. Yes, we will have troubles. Yes, we'll have hard times. Yes, we'll have haters. We may face persecution, but Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome the world, I've overcome it all. In the end, we are overcomers because he overcame. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter four, for our light and momentary troubles, it's just light, it just lasts for a moment. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's saying whatever trouble or trial or persecution or hardship we face here, it's extremely light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. The billions and trillions of years, the eternal life with Jesus can't even compare to the little bit of temporary darkness that we face here on the earth. There's a point of no return in our commitment to Jesus. But don't let that scare you. Don't let that frighten you. Don't go back to the old way. Don't go back to bowing the knee to culture. Don't go back to life before Jesus because following him is the best decision we can ever make. Amen, everybody? Amen. Yeah, let's give him praise today. No turning back. We're all in for Jesus. I'm going to ask you right there in your seat, bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you need to move, move quickly now. Otherwise, we need it still in the house. The Holy Spirit has some business he wants to take care of today. There's some people who are going to come to Jesus here in just a moment. So I wonder if you... Find yourself here in the place today and you haven't yet made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe after this word, you are ready to do that today. One of the things that we learned from this story that we just read was the compassion of Jesus. Did you notice how Jesus, he was moved in compassion for this man? So much so that he was willing to go through a confrontation with these Pharisees to bring hope and healing and restoration to this man. Did you know that Jesus has moved by compassion for you too? So much so that he was willing to lay down his life, willing to be executed so that you could have your sins forgiven. Jesus met that man right where he was at. Met him right there in the middle of his pain met him right there in the middle of his infirmity. Jesus can meet you right where you're at too. You may have even hit rock bottom, (laughs) but Jesus is right there waiting for you. He wants to give you a new start, a new life. He wants to heal your heart and give you a brand new start. Is it gonna be a carefree life? No. (laughs) Will it come with a cost? Probably yes. But it's well worth it because a life with Jesus is an abundant life and a life that will last for all eternity. So if you wanna make him the Lord of your life, we're gonna lead you in a prayer. Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're gonna pray this prayer right now. That's going to initiate your relationship with Jesus, inviting him to be the Lord of your life. So let's do this. Everybody out loud, repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. I need rescue. Please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my salvation.